Leaving the bench doesn't necessarily mean leaving science and the scientific community altogether. A rich universe of activities exists that are closely related to academia, be it within universities or in external organizations or governing bodies. Having gone through grad school and lived research from within, you are well-placed to fulfill roles that bridge these two universes, be it in administration, knowledge transfer or the policy domain. This week, we'll hear about how Adriana Bankston navigated her transition from a PhD in biochemistry, cell and developmental biology into a policy position in DC. Before we go on to the interview, I just wanted to remind you that you can follow Papa PhD on Facebook or on Twitter for updates, and I wanted to invite you to visit the Papa PhD Patreon page to become a supporter. Thanks for listening, and welcome to the show. So this week we're talking with Adriana Bankston. Adriana Bankston is a principal legislative analyst at the University of California, Office of Federal Governmental Relations in Washington, D.C. Prior to this position, she was a policy and advocacy fellow at the Society for Neuroscience, where she provided staff support for special and ongoing projects, including SFN's annual lobby event and the Society's annual meeting. In addition to working at UC, Adriana also serves as the Director of Communications and Outreach for the Journal of Science Policy and Governance, and is an associate member of the Public Policy Committee with the American Society for Cell Biology. For the past several years, Adriana has also been an active member in the nonprofit organization Future of Research, where she is currently the Vice President and has previously served as the Associate Director of Fundraising and Strategic Initiatives. Adriana received her bachelor's degree in biological sciences from Clemson University and her PhD in biochemistry, cell and developmental biology from Emory University. Welcome to Papa PhD, Adriana. Thanks for having me here. So, Adriana, you've carved what seems to be a pretty specialized career for yourself that is quite a departure from biochemistry and developmental biology. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and about what you do as a legislative analyst? Sure. Uh, so just before we start, I have to state that this interview will be in my personal capacity and does not represent the opinions of UC or is not related in any way. Um, so <clears throat> let's see, it's starting, um, starting from the beginning. So I grew up in a family of scientists and sort of have always been around science going to my parents' lab. Um, so I, I was born in Romania and moved here in 2001, did my undergraduate at Clemson and then my PhD in biochemistry at Emory. So at that point, I was still thinking about an academic career and went to Kentucky to do a postdoc for almost three years. And that's sort of when I started thinking about other possible options. Um, and because I was there, there were not a lot of resources for postdocs. And so I started a seminar series to bring speakers in to talk to postdocs about different careers um, together with another postdoc. And now it, it became essentially a program now, which is at the university that is a monthly event. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of um, both my own career exploration, but also realizing that I was really interested in thinking about how we're actually training students and postdocs in institutions and what resources exist or don't exist or we should create. 
from there, uh, it sort of became a, a larger interest on, in a national sense to get involved with organizations that were interested in this idea of how we're training the biomedical workforce, essentially. And those were sort of a, a bunch of different national organizations that I got involved with and eventually had leadership roles in, which was also useful um, for more networking and sort of more exploring my own path. After my postdoc, I got involved with Future of Research, which is a small nonprofit that is essentially looking to empower young scientists to think about um, different academic um, issues like mentoring, career development, and things that they should think about and, um, in the sense of both doing research on these topics and also doing events to hear more about what's going on nationally from students and postdocs themselves. Um, so at this point, I was sort of interested in, you know, these national questions of how do we train the workforce and what organizations are doing those things. And while I was at Future Research, we had a project looking at the effect of um, federal labor law on uh, postdoc salaries, because essentially the law basically mandated that postdoc salaries would be increased all across U.S. institutions, and so it became a national landscape project looking at how much postdocs would get paid in the U.S., uh, which is really interesting and also not, not something that has been done before. So that really opened a lot of doors in terms of, um, first of all, allowing us to present the work at different institutions, and again, more networking, meeting more people in this way, but also kind of bridge the gap between the policy and the academic world because this was the effect of federal policy on an academic issue. So at that point, I pretty much knew that I was interested in sort of these larger questions of how, how do policies affect the research system, essentially, which was very, um, I think it was a natural progression from what I was already interested in before. So I applied for um, a bunch of policy positions in D.C. and moved here last December uh, to do a fellowship with the Society for Neuroscience. And uh, so this was a policy and advocacy fellowship that uh, essentially the goal is to train PhDs how to think about policy and write different pieces or responses on behalf of the society. So you really learn how to write the way that you write things in the policy world, as well as going to Capitol Hill to advocate for increased funding for biomedical research, which is really interesting. That was my first time I really went to the Hill to advocate for something, which is, it's, it's a really cool experience. And uh, so during this time, I sort of, I think I realized that I was really enjoying sort of the policy and advocacy world, but was still interested in kind of higher education and university policy because I was coming from there. And so I was looking for something to kind of blend all these things. And DC is a great place to be. Uh, there's so many opportunities here to, in terms of, places you can do policy in different areas. And so I ended up here in the UC uh, Government Relations Office, which is a great mix of, I think, a lot of things that I bring here. Um, the fact that I have a research background and also an interest in university policy. And so now I follow a lot of issues related to what funding agencies do and sort of trying to position UC campuses for the next opportunities that are are happening federally at NIH or NSF or even what the OSTP is doing, sort of how do they think about, you know, just the research system in general. There's a lot of different things. So I think, yeah, I've, I've been lucky. So I think in, in a sense, I've sort of built my own way, but I've also been lucky to, uh, I think, have the right 
qualifications for the whatever I was doing next, which led me to the next thing and so on. Um, so right now, so far, I've been in this job about a month and a half. So <laughs> still catching up, but it's been great so far. Excellent. So as I was saying, you know, this is quite far from the, the bench. Uh, although clearly you keep the community, you know, close to your heart and, and, and you're, you know, you're working on something that, that, uh, that affects the whole, that may affect and, and, and may have effects on the community as a whole. Uh, but you don't do science, you know, on your, uh, on your day to day, uh, anymore. And you, you went, like you were saying up to your postdoc. Um, and you said a lot of interesting things, uh, in, in your, in your introduction. We'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later, but you know, let's, let's start at the beginning of the story. And what I mean is I, I'd like to know how it happened, you know, that, that you, you know, you went, you, you did your bachelor's, you did your your PhD and the postdoc, how did this shift uh, happen within you that you found, okay, I like science, I, I love science, and I, clearly it's something that still is, is close to your heart, but I have another interest that's, that's growing, and I'm, I'm going to leave the bench and you know, work on something completely different. How, how was that, you know, how did that, that transition come up? I think... Um... So first of all, my PhD, I'll say that I had a really good mentor and a really good experience, which was still at the point of, okay, I wanted to do academia because I could see what a really good PI um, could do in terms of, you know, she had funding and we were well-trained and I'm very happy that I was in her lab because I learned a lot of things. Uh, and that is the reason why I did a postdoc because I was still thinking at the time that, you know, this is something that I could do and especially having a female mentor, you know, was a really good role model. Um, and then some, at some point, I think about six months into my postdoc, I was sort of realizing that I needed something that would be more impactful, that, um, I'm the kind of person that actually likes more instant gratification than what research provided. Um, even though I like the intellectual challenge, but I think I didn't see myself really doing sort of that same thing every day and very focused on the project that I had and um, just the way the academic world works where you always have to find your own funding and apply for grants to pay for yourself and pay your students. Uh, and it just seemed like it wasn't going to satisfy me in that kind of terms of the kind of impact I wanted to do. And, you know, as I said, it, it sort of started with my own self-exploration about what careers I could go into, which then also helped other postdocs at the university, which then led to the interest of, you know, how are we actually training the whole workforce? And from there, kind of went into sort of the next thing and the next thing and so on. But I think now I feel much more that the policy world much more satisfies that in terms of having, you know, a lot of small projects that you sort of do and you're done and then move on and you feel like you accomplish something and it's finished that's not going to take five years to to publish a paper so that's a very different world that you're there's always something different and um you know your day-to-day -day is not the same but at the same time you feel like you accomplish something and move on to something else which is very much i think fits my personality much more mm -hmm. so uh, it feels like this platform that you that you created uh where where you were inviting uh people to to talk about their careers was a central part of this exploration of yours also 
of of uh, what you could do next uh, and you probably met people or or you know uh, you probably heard people speak that inspired you to to move towards uh, the domain that you are today so my next question would be once you had found this interest um, how did you go about finding what do I need to learn you know what training do I need to get uh, what steps do I need to take to now transition to this to this uh, domain of policy yeah I think there's not I'll say there's not one way to do it um, everybody who's done science policy has has a different path so it's interesting um, so I think the first thing I did was took the IDP which is um, one of those tests that looks at your strengths and um, you know values and qualities and sort of assesses where you are and what you want to do. Uh, and so a policy was the first thing that came on the list. You, know, you get a list of 20 careers and you can explore a little bit about it. It's very limited. It just gives you a little bit of information about it. Um, and then, um, so what I, essentially what I did is did a lot of informational interviews with people who were in, in this field. Some, some of them I met through um, through the seminar series and others I met at conferences because again expanding from the fact that I ended up going to conferences where people were a lot of uh, university administrators who were training postdocs and they're thinking about how do we train postdocs and so it's it's an interesting mix of individuals who think about sort of the research system from the institutional side or the policy side they kind of go to the same meetings and so I would go and um, you know, meet people and then just call them and say, can I talk to you for 30 minutes about what you do? And I did a lot of that and it expanded my network into, you know, I would say, you know, what do you do? And can you recommend somebody else to talk to? And so that's just kind of expanded from there because I would talk to more people and go to more meetings and just sort of work that way. I think a lot of it was also luck because of the project that we had with future research with the postdoc salaries because that expanded really our reach to going to meetings and institutions and you know presenting that work which is really a unique opportunity uh, which again helped me to meet other people who are in this field and so on um, I think the other thing was getting involved with these organizations nationally, for example, the American Society for Cell Biology, which I'm still involved with, uh, the Public Policy Committee. So they had an early career scientist committee that you could apply to, and then I ended up being the co-chair of communications. But basically, you know, the idea is kind of expanding your portfolio so people get to know you beyond where you are, and sort of on the national scale, if you can do it. And societies are good for that because they organize a lot of uh, professional development events. And so that's also, again, going to the ASCB meeting and, you know, moder I moderated the policy panel, for example, without really knowing what it was. But then again, you know, met those people and pe those people know other people and so on. So I think I've done a lot of things sort of here and there to expand my network through these other organizations uh, and scientific societies that, um, you know, you meet a lot of people in policy that way. Mm -hmm. So would you recommend, uh, you know, people who are doing their master's or their PhD to volunteer in these societies, in different events, just as a way of getting to know the people, getting to learn uh, the culture? Yeah, that's very useful. I think definitely even doing things 
locally at your university. So for example, I know people who have transitioned who, for example, started a science policy group or something like that, where, you know, so there are ways to make an impact sort of at the institution and, you know, people get to know you because you're the leader of something. Uh, then you start sort of publicizing that. Um, but it's a good idea to try to connect with people who are interested in the same things and, you know, join a committee that is doing that. And, you know, it's going to expand your network that way. And societies are great for that. Excellent. Uh, it's a very good advice. Find the associations that interest you in the domain that interests you and, you know, uh, get in touch with whoever uh, is, is dealing with events. That could be a start. Uh, or or through your network, you you may also go through ne your network. Now, um, you you talked about uh, the fact that you you went and reached out to people yourself, and uh, I, you know, thinking of myself when I was in my PhD, uh, I'm uh, I'm here at the microphone, but I you know I'm an introvert uh, <laughs> by nature, and I wouldn't have found it easy at that time, or it wouldn't be top of mind to go ask someone to give some of their time to talk with me. Um, you know, how, how, how did you go about that? Was, was it an issue for you? And what advice can you give people out there to, to do this? Because I think it's, it is very useful and it, you know, it can really, really uh, open doors, but there may be an obstacle there of, of having the, you know, take, taking the leap to make that call. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that, um, Post students and postdocs don't realize when they're in the lab that they should be cultivating their careers at the same time. And I don't think I even realized that for a while. I think, you know, that's part of why I did a postdoc because I was still in that mind. And, and it wasn't until I got there six months into my postdoc that I realized that there's other things I could do and started looking for that. But I think that's a good sort of mindset to think about cultivating that network sort of throughout your studies because. You know, don't start, don't do it in your, the last year of grad school because that's not going to be probably enough time to cultivate the network that you need to go into what you want to do. And I think the longer you sort of explore that, the more likely it is that you'll actually do what you want to do when you graduate. So in terms of the calls, I think, I think if you have this mindset that your career is your, it's sort of your thing to craft, right? nobody's going to help you, honestly. People, you know, your mentor can only help you so much because they don't know about all the different careers out there, especially now there's so many things you can do with your, your science degree. Um, so to an extent, it's kind of on your, in your hands to craft that for yourself and figure out what you want to do, which I think can actually be kind of exciting. Once you realize that you don't want to do academia, there's so many options out there, which is, which is pretty amazing. So I don't think there's really any secrets to it other than just maybe start with people that you know and see who they know and who you're comfortable talking to. But I'll say that I've never had anybody say no to me. Um, so, you know, but they were, you know, they were starting with kind of people that were closer to me or like friends that knew other friends. And then they said, can you talk to her? And they would introduce me. So it started from people that I knew, but then, um, you know, I think I got braver and just did it more and more and it was fine. So, and it's, it helps that people, um, are willing to most people are willing to talk about themselves nobody's gonna it's very it's very unlikely that somebody will say no if you say i'm a student i want to go into policy i want to talk to you about what you do like it's very likely people will say yes because they like to talk about themselves and i think we've all been through this transition 
that we like to help each other. And, you know, I, I've done a lot of these sort of, um, you know, I like to do panels and obviously podcasts like this to, to tell people what I do, because I think it's important to educate the next generation about it. And, you know, we've all, we've all done it differently. So I think it's, it's good to, to share your story with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, to, to lead by example in a way. Uh, so what I'm hearing is start with your, you know, your close circle and then expand it as you get more and more practice doing these calls and braver, like you said, in a way to maybe call that person that at the beginning said, I'm not going to be able to call this person. She's too popular. She's too big influencer, etc. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think it's hard, definitely hard to go for sort of the top person. Um, that's why I think society is a really good way to go because you have peers who are you know on the same committees as you. You're likely organizing events with them, and the people that you invite are likely to be maybe like a step ahead of you, but not the very top. At least that's what I've sort of seen. Um, I think a lot of people we invited were. PhDs who graduated maybe within five years and they were, you know, in that position of they now had a job and they would be, you know, they were happy to come on the panel, but they were not the scary people, the famous people that you're scared to call, but they were like slightly above our level and they were very happy to talk to us. Yeah. And then, you know, f through them, maybe you can be introduced to someone who, who whom you, you have access to easily uh, before. Yeah, I think it gets easier. Um, I think that's one one other advice I'll say that a lot of times young scientists are afraid to speak up and say, you know, because they don't think anybody will care about what they have to say. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm sort of working to change with all these kind of volunteer things I'm doing is to say, you know, you're smart, you can do a lot and don't feel like just because you're a grad student, you can't do things and you can't, you know, go and talk to people. And I've definitely done the scary thing of going and introducing myself to a panelist and saying I'm a student and I'm doing this. And, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's helped that everyone's been really receptive. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, they can say no, but it's, most people won't, I think, because they like to help students um, because they've been there and they've, they've been through the transition. So I'll say, you know, don't be, don't be scared. It's your career. So just, you know, take charge of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it feels to me that it's something that may not come naturally when you're a, a PhD student or a, or a master student, because again, you think you know my voice is not gonna is not gonna cut through the noise, and then and, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna be heard. But are there habits that you can suggest uh, students take on that can help them then when they're finishing their degree to transition more easily to like the looking into the job market and and doing informational uh calls uh, with people etc so yeah i guess one of the things is learning how to present your science to different groups because that's something that i definitely remember doing a lot of lab meetings and presenting to my group um so if there are opportunities to talk about what you do in other other settings um that can help you because if you meet somebody at a meeting and you have to tell them what you do it's probably not going to be a scientist if you're especially if you want to go into science policy then you have to learn how to talk that way um so i think you know looking for opportunities i think let's see um so i did did some of that locally, but then I also did some online. Um, so, for example, I took the ASBMB class, uh, which is the Art of Science Communication, 
Um, so they basically teach you how to talk about your project through, I think, a 10-week class. Um, and then as an instructor after that. So, you know, again, societies, I think, are a good way to find opportunities to meet people and talk about what you do to other people because their meetings are usually so varied that, you know, they'll have scientists, but they'll also have people from other um, other parts of, um, you know, other ways like policy or other things to um, think about what they do and you can talk to them. Um, did, did you do this yeah. during your PhD or, or, or uh, during, during your postdoc? The, the science communication? Um, I think it was after, shortly after, um, as I was essentially starting to build my CV. Uh, so that's another point, I guess, is think about, you know, what experiences will help you transition, which I think for me, it was partly by luck that the organizations that I was interested in existed and I could join as a student or as a postdoc and then sort of built my way up and, you know, had leadership roles. And then, um, so I think that, um, I think it's worthwhile looking at people who have done the job that you want to do and seeing how they got there. And, you know, so I mean, LinkedIn is, is useful for that. Um, you know, if, and there are certain things that I think, um, is useful to get involved in that, um, you know, people can advise you to say, you need to join this organization or, you know, this is useful or take this class or something like that. I've taken, I've also taken um, classes for uh, sort of ge general things like how does Congress work and how does the budget work, that kind of thing from AAAS because I, I knew nothing about that and I, you know, paid $30 for one class to, <laughs> to take that. So um, I think nowadays it's, it's easier to build that than it used to be because there's a lot of online resources too um, and yeah, you can take classes on, on certain things too. Um, so I think, um, yeah, in my case, I think I've done a lot of sort of different elements of it to educate myself about the policy space and what it is for, with courses or, you know, knowing that I wasn't trained and really explaining my science. I took this class from ASPMB. So, you know, taking initiative on the things that you think you don't know, there's probably a resource out there. And if there's not, you can create it, which is also mm -hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And you were mentioning uh, that uh, some, you know, some of the societies that, that you, you were talking about have uh, student memberships. Uh, is that is that something that uh, that is kind of, kind of generalized in in the in the societies in the in scientific societies or so? Because um, I know here uh, here in Quebec, the there's the um, a society for the translators, let's say, and they do have a membership for students who who do not have their bachelor's yet. Is, is this uh, something you'd recommend people doing if there's a domain that interests them? That's definitely a good idea. Uh, I know that a lot of them have discounted rates for students, and sometimes institutions will pay for membership or they'll have some discounts for their students if they join, that kind of thing. Uh, I think, again, it depends on what you're interested in. So in my case, I was mostly involved with the American Society for Cell Biology because that's where my I presented my research there, and that was sort of my research home. Um, but also I'll say that I, you know, took advantage of the professional development things that were going on while I went and presented my, you know, my PhD research. But then I'd go to a panel and learn about something else because they have a lot of those things, right? So I think those that's a very useful space to 
um, you know, take advantage of it. If you, your PI paid for you to go to a conference, then, you know, use that for your career too, not just for the poster that you want to present because there's a lot of things going on that you can take advantage of while you're there. Excellent. That's, that's, that's very good advice. And, uh, and uh, yeah, for sure, make the most of your time uh, and, and, uh, and of the money that, that's been paid for you to take part in those conferences, for sure. Um, now, did you, uh, you know, at your university, did you have resources like this, a career center that, that you used, that, that you, uh, um, you know, the services that you used to help you, uh, um, you know, move towards a, a going into the job market? Or did you really do it uh, on your own, uh, you know, finding your own resources? Yeah, I think it was pretty much on my own. Uh, probably if I had started earlier in graduate school, I think that Emory has a lot of resources, but I don't think my mind was there <laughs> at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the tunnel vision problem, right? You're, you're yeah. in the tunnel vision. And yeah, that's, that's uh, I'm sure it's it's something that it's not only you or not only me at my time that, that go through that. Um, but yeah, for listeners uh, for listeners out there, that are during, you know, that are during, uh, that are doing their PhD or their masters, uh, you know, you are doing your PhD or your masters, you are doing your research. Look in your university, look around, and see what resources they are to bolster, you know, your your extracurricular, uh, like CV, let's say, definitely. Yeah, and I think yeah, things like this, like a a seminar, bring would you know, bringing speakers in, this kind of thing, I think exists in most cases. And, you know, you can go, I'm sure that a lot of universities have this, you can just go and learn about different careers once a month, and then, you know, go introduce yourself to the speaker. I mean, that's a good way to, to build a network. But because I didn't really have that, um, you know, I sort of built my own things. And as I said, took classes on the side, and, you know, build this seminar, which again, I, so I mean, that's a good lesson too. So, saying that if there's a resource that you need that doesn't exist, you can create it. And then that'll give you a lot of leverage to do things at the university and people will know you. And, you know, leadership is a very useful thing to have and you'll, it'll get you noticed when you go on the job market. Definitely. And you probably have colleagues around you that are asking themselves the same type of questions that, that you may, two or three people can organize something pretty cool in terms of, you know, a discussion group about a, a specific theme of common interest or something like that, for sure. I see a lot more now. I think grad students are much more proactive than when I was in grad school. Uh, even as, as I mentioned, people starting their own science policy groups or, you know, any kind of groups around common interests. I think that's something that's happening more. And, you know, that that's very useful for them, but also when they leave, if there's a program that you start that can, can stay there once you're gone and other people can take advantage, you know, it's worthwhile to, to build a program like that if you can. Yeah, you leave a, a sort of a legacy, but also, you know, once you're interviewing with an employer, you know, it, it makes you an interesting candidate, I would say. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely, there are certain things that I think they look for and that you're proactive and took initiative and were a leader in something or more than one thing, um, you know, whether it's local or national, you know, that, that kind of thing stands out when you're competing with other people. Excellent. Now, you know, you really, through your own, you know, your own effort, you really moved into a, a world that's very different from, from the bench uh, working in biochemistry or cell biology. So you just told us that, you know, you took courses, you learned the language, you, you kind of dove into it to, 
to be able to um, to fully embrace the the career that you chose. But I imagine that this doesn't mean um, that what you did in, in grad school, your PhD or your postdoc, are now you know things that you just erased from from the past and that don't have an effect on your life today, right? Yeah, yeah. So what would you say are like the two or three main assets uh, that that you bring with yourself and that you you feel that have a positive effect in what you do today even though it's so you know it's a different world yeah um so i think i'll say that there's a lot of things that translate in terms of um i think what i would describe now is more project management because you know that's something that you you do in the lab and not realize it. And that's something I'm doing now in terms of, you know, I have basically different policy projects that are ongoing all at the same time at different pace. Um, sometimes some of them are faster, some are slower, some require more research, some are just reading and summarizing. So it's, you know, being able to manage a bunch of different projects and get them done in time is a skill that you, you definitely, I definitely brought here and I need that now. Um, and there's just certain things about, you know, being professional and being organized and diligent and showing up for work, you know, those kinds of things you can learn from your mentor, which, again, I had a great mentor, um, to, you know, just keep your, yourself accountable and, you know, make sure that people can count on you when you need to do something. And that's something that I think, you know, can definitely come from your mentor. And I see a lot of those things that I, I do now that I think back to when, um, my advisor taught me how to do certain things, you know, working in a team and sort of, you know, just being diligent and doing your work and, you know, going to people for advice or, you know, being able to be independent. I think you develop a certain professionalism that you can bring with you because a lot of things translate in terms of working with other people and, you know, doing your work and all of that. And the other aspect is because now I work on research issues, right, that affect UC campuses, basically. So I'm sort of on the other side of it. But one of the reasons I'm here now is because I have a research background. And so that's valuable for this position to um, be able to see what the federal agencies are doing and, you know, understanding sort of how the system works, which not everyone does, because when you, you come into this world, uh, a lot of people don't have a science background, which is really interesting and cool. Um, but that's a valuable thing because you bring something that they don't, you know, they don't understand how the university works. They haven't been through the system. And, um, that's helpful to, to be at this position where you're now looking at the policies that affect research, having come through the research system is very useful. Mm -hmm. And in your work, do you also need to talk with researchers back at UC about policies or are you discussing with them too? And, uh, and does, you know, being someone who has, uh, a research background help setting up the stage to talk with with stakeholders that are at, in the academic uh, side of things yeah so it's kind of both ways so from what i gather so far we do events that require bringing re uc researchers to capitol hill for example for different events it'll be things like connecting researchers to program managers because again, part of the job is to kind of position them for new opportunities that the agencies are doing, kind of, if, if we're in DC and we can learn sort of what their next goals are, 
then we can tell the campuses, here's what's coming up and, you know, be ready for this and this grant, you know, whatever grant opportunities may be coming up and that kind of thing. So, and they organize also events in California related to specific issues that affect either one campus or sort of the whole state of California, depending on what it is. So there is a lot of back and forth in terms of translating the research to policymakers, but, and also translating the policy to the researchers, right? So you're, I'm in that, in that kind of middle ground of being able to do both, which I think is why I'm, I get hired. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And I guess uh, when communicating with, with researchers, there's no culture gap between you. You can identify straight away with what they're saying, with what they're feeling and uh, with how they may be interpreting or, or how may they be, uh, you know, reacting to whichever changes are coming uh, instead of just being from the outside and, and delivering a message. Yeah, it definitely helps to have that perspective even for education issues. So we do a lot of things around higher education, thinking about, you know, having that perspective of how, how, how does a researcher think about these issues is helpful when you're talking to somebody in policy and vice versa. And that's something that you're, you know, it's a unique thing, I guess, which is, which is funny because when you, you know, when you're in academia, everyone has a PhD and sort of everyone's like you, but when you're here, it's not because (laughs) most people in the office have totally different background, which is, which is real interesting. And, you know, that's one perk, right? You get to work with people who are from different worlds and all work together in this space. Uh, But having that research background is, is useful. It's interesting because I, the feeling that I that I get is that, you know, having the PhD, the the nitty gritty of your PhD and and what you published and what you worked on is no longer important, but you know, being part of of the PhD and and, and of uh, uh, of the research community, even though you transitioned out of academia, it's still valuable and it can still have a um, uh, an impact and a strong impact on on what you do afterwards for sure. Yeah, that's true. No, I think that's especially because. A lot of policy in D.C. is um, related to, or I guess sort of what I'm thinking about all the time is things related to the research system, right? So things like, you know, reproducibility, how do you do good research? How do you train people to do it? Um, And what does the funding look like? And there's a lot of advocacy for, you know, increased funding for research and all of that. So I think, you know, there's a lot of that going on and there's always events at Capitol Hill around increasing funding for research, which comes back to know the NIH and SF or wherever the major major sources are so it's really helpful to understand that excellent now um, a couple of minutes ago you mentioned uh, your mentors and um, one of the things that interests me a lot and and that I that I like to ask guests is you know along the way let's say in grad school and then uh, after grad school and, and in the different transitions how important were mentors to to cultivating yourself and to to pushing you forward in your in your career development throughout these different stages. Yeah, that was critical. Um, that's interesting because mentor mentors can mean a lot of things. So I know most people think that mentors are your advisors, which was true in my case. So my PhD advisor definitely taught me a lot of sort of general skills that I took with me from there. And, you know, was able to talk to me about whether or not I wanted an academic career. Obviously, I wasn't sure at the time, but it was good to be able to talk to her about it. But at the same time, when I went to my postdoc, I actually talked to the associate dean for graduate and postdoctoral studies because, again, I was already interested in sort of the training question. 
And they're actually, you know, they sponsored the seminar series that we did. And so then I talked to him about what he does and he became kind of a mentor in this other space of, um, you know, he doesn't know anything about the research system, but he was coming from sort of the administrative side of training people and, you know, talking to him about how do you do, you know, what do you do and what do you think about? And so that was a good example of a mentor who was in the space that I was interested in going into, but knew nothing about, but he was, you know, he was accessible and met with me about it. So I think, yeah, those are two different types of mentors and definitely my peers, you know, that's not something we think about, like your peers can be your mentors, but it's true, especially when you're going through the academic system and trying to try to navigate it. It's helpful to have a support system and people that can guide you. And again, because those people sometimes, you know, have connections in other fields and they can connect you to people that, you know, maybe in policy and then they'll say, you know, I know this person. So in terms of career exploration, I think peers can be helpful because they might know people, right? And then once you sort of move into a different space, then you have other mentors who are, you know, I don't think I, I have a mentor in policy per se, but I think I have a good network of people that I can turn to now if I have questions or need something or, you know, I'm still sort of building that network. A neural network, yeah. <laughs> a policy neural network. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And um, you mentioned uh, uh, something that I, I wonder, and, and it, I imagine it, it still has an impact, you know, on how you do what you do today. You mentioned that your supervisor, uh, that you also saw her as a model uh, in terms of being a woman in science. And I was curious about how she inspired you and uh, how having this inspiring uh, model uh, affected you first as a student, but, you know, then throughout your life and the different stages of, of, your, of your career choices. Yes, it was interesting, actually, because she was one of only two female PIs on my, in my floor. So, uh, you know, seeing that is, it's really empowering to see somebody that can, I think, just navigate the system like that and be really confident. Um, she, you know, I appreciate it, obviously, that she, she had funding and she actually was, she was teaching a grants class, too, with another one, another uh, PI. And so, um that's really helpful and reassuring to know that you're always going to have funding from the lab, which is not always true. So, you know, having that security of saying that I work for somebody who's good at grant writing and consistently had funding, that was, that was helpful. I definitely didn't know anything about really how to even give a presentation or write a grant. I mean, all those things, you know, skills that you learn about, how do I talk to my lab? How do I talk to, you know, when you ha we have to give our depart department seminar, you know, how do I talk to kind of a larger audience and all those skills, you know, presentations and writing and kind of going, going through different drafts with me and teaching me, really teaching me how to think, right? That's what it comes down to. That you're, you know, she would sort of let me take a stab at whatever it was and then kind of tear it apart and say, this is all wrong. You need to redo <laughs> it, which is fine. But you really, you know, you learn how to think and, you know, working, I think it became eventually kind of more like a colleague that we were going back and forth, you know, towards the end of the PhD that I realized that now I can write and I can, you know, sort of go back and forth with her on different drafts. And so I think it really helped me kind of develop myself from, you know, a grad student that didn't know anything and had no idea how to even give a talk to then becoming somebody that could go back and forth with her and say, you know, we're um, kind of more equal towards the end. But it was, you know, it was interesting to see that because it was, you know, being only one of two uh, 
female PIs on the floor takes a lot of guts <laughs> to do that. Um, and, you know, as I said, I think all these skills that I learned there, I'm still using and I've been using ever since. Just, you know, her, her lab was very organized. We had, when we left, we had to um, leave a, like a Excel sheet with where all the samples were, you know, which box this tube was in and all that very, very detailed. So, you know, I learned to be very organized from there, <laughs> which is, which is serving me well now too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. So it seems that, you know, you were either very lucky or you really chose your PI very well. Uh, and what I'd like you to share maybe with, with the listeners is, you know, when you're looking into, into grad school, you want to go either do your master's or your PhD. Do you have any advice for them uh, in terms of choosing the lab, choosing the subject, choosing the, the PI that they're going to be working with for, you know, two, three, seven years? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's a really important decision. I so my story is I actually joined a different lab when I first went there, and you know it was still a muscle lab, but slightly different. It was in the cell biology department, which is a really good department. And uh, I realized after one year that it was not as challenging as I would have liked uh, that I was learning. But you know, I, when I, I went to, I guess what I was imagining myself doing going to grad school is being much more challenged and really being trained to, you know, write and think and all that. And so essentially the first lab that I was in, I didn't feel like it really did that. Uh, and so I switched to her lab after one year, which was unconventional. And, you know, that's one of the things that is, you'll know that about me, that I do things that are not <laughs> conventional and they're sometimes frowned upon, but they're actually good decisions. So, So I went to her lab because I knew that she was a good mentor and that, so she had a good reputation for training people who are going to different fields. She has one of her um, trainees did really well and basically stayed in academia, but she's really good. So she has a good reputation for training people and sort of, you know, being challenging them to think about projects and, you know, letting them be independent. And so it just seemed like it was a really good environment for what I was looking for in terms of, being able to kind of be independent, but having someone to go to, but knowing that she would train me in the things that I need, which not everyone does because it's very hard sometimes to manage that and running a lab and writing grants and training your students at the same time. You know, it's it's a tough balance. Yeah, yeah. But so she had a really good system in terms of, uh, I don't remember, but basically, you know, having meetings one-on-one and having lab meetings and sort of, you know, the, the environment really worked for me. So I think, you know, obviously what I would say is ask as many people as you can before you go and but then also, you know, make sure that it's a good fit, um, which is, you know, Emory was good because they had, they had rotations where you could do that. So not all universities have that. So they let you rotate through the lab for six weeks, I think. But, you know, I think that's, I'll say that it's not a, it's nothing shameful in changing the lab either if it doesn't work because you'll be there a long time. So it's important to be happy and find a fit, you know, the, the lab that fits you. Um, a lot of times it helps to ask lab alumni too, because sometimes students in the lab won't tell you the real thing. Uh, but if it's, you know, you go have a coffee with somebody who's left a lab five years ago, they'll tell you what it's really like. So, you know, I think the more information you can find, the better, but it's also a, a way of, you know, looking at really whether it's a good fit for you. And if it's not, you know, don't stay there too long and change to the one that'll work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That worked. <laughs> that was good for me. Yeah. It's very, very good advice. So 
do your research. And uh, I guess one of the things you said that's very important, if you can talk with alumni that are not at the lab anymore, you're going to get the real, you know, the, the real picture. Uh, but the rotations also, uh, if you do have, if you're at a university, an institute where you can do rotations, do the rotations for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I think there's also, there's a bigger sort of goal too, is making sure that you fit also in the department and the institution, you know, because some departments, you know, departments work differently. And so it's also helpful to be able to go to other PIs on the floor if you have a question. You know, there's a lot of times, obviously, collaborative research projects, so... Uh, one of my papers actually ended up being collaboration between our lab and two other labs, which is great. But, you know, having other PIs to go to, um, either through your research or just if you just want to talk to another PI about what they're doing, is helpful. So I think just being mindful of the department culture, too. Excellent. I'm getting to the last question, and it's kind of the question where I ask you to, you know, to give some advice to people who are either looking into going to grad school or in grad school or have just finished and they can have doubts, you know, is, is grad school for me or uh, do I want to do a PhD or, or do a master's instead or I've just finished, I don't want to go do a postdoc. Am I now overqualified? Am I going to have a job? You know, they, they can have these fears, these doubts. And um, what I'd like you to to share, if possible, would be what three, two or three basic strategies or principles that they could follow starting today to be the most uh, successful in their studies, but also when transitioning to the job market. So obviously, it's important to do your research. Um, I would say that's one of the biggest mistakes, I think, is that people don't also think about their careers when they're in the lab, you know. So I think putting that as a really important thing when you're and I know you, you people don't think about it when they start their PhD but you can do it on day one and just you know have that be something that is in parallel with your lab work and anything for me honestly for me anything that I've done outside of the bench has been really helpful to build my CV to where I am right now so I'll say you know I, that's one advice right so do your research well but then also get out of the lab and don't be one of those people that's working 24 7 on the bench it's not going to help you in the long term Take advantage of university resources that exist or create them if you can. Get involved with things that you're interested in nationally if there's an organization, which there probably is. Or talk to people who have, um, you know, jobs that you want to do. And I'm always happy to talk to students who want to do policy. And I may know people who are in different areas too. So, you know, taking advantage of, I think, alumni or people that are willing to talk to you. Um, you know, I think, and I guess the, you know, the main thing is just remember that your career is, you know, it's in your hands and you have to do it. So no one will do it <laughs> or you, um, but you know, there are a lot of resources and if you reach out, um, to your mentors and other people, you know, it'll get easier and you're sort of start building that over time. And it, you know, it just, it just goes from there. You just have to start somewhere and then it just, it's going to build, um, from there to other people who are willing to help you and talk to you and it'll get easier to kind of explore that more. But I think you just have to take that, you know, have that mindset that your, your career is just as important as your bench work. And that's something you have to cultivate over time. And it's, you know, it's going to take a while to build your CV for whatever you want to do if it's not academic. So, um, you know, start early and work on that during your PhD. Definitely. And that's sound, sound advice. And now the question, the little extra question that I'd like to ask you is, given that you've looked into 
how uh, uh, grad students are, are trained. Do you have some advice on specific training or specific uh, abilities that, that people should hone during grad school so that they, you know, they, they make a smoother transition once they finish? Yeah, so I think some of the things we already talked about are learn how to talk about your science to other individuals and other groups who are not scientists. So even if you have friends that are not in science, you know, talk to them and see if they understand what you're doing. Taking classes and, um, you know, being able to, I think the way that we started is creating resources that, you know, if institutions may have them or if they don't have them, it's always helpful to try and create them yourself. I think institutions, you know, I think they're still somewhat outdated, I think, in the sense that, you know, it's still very focused on the bench work. And, you know, there's a lot of things that need to change sort of in the systemic sense to train people for different careers. And so we're still not there. You know, I would love to see institutions having policy classes and, you know, science communication and these kinds of things that are really useful that a lot of people are going into. I think these two are becoming more popular now. So I guess if I were to design something, I would love to see something that where people can go and, you know, present their work in two different groups or some sort of events at the university for that, or, you know, being able to take a policy course at your university that'll count towards your degree or something like that, uh, you know, that'll require kind of changing the whole system, honestly, because those things are not still not as encouraged, I think. So people have to do them kind of on the side or on the weekend, or, you know, if there is a program, then they'll do it, um, you know, at lunchtime or whatever. But I think that's the major problem that the system is still not, you know, training people for non-academic careers. Yeah. And, and like we mentioned a couple of times during our chat, specifically uh, like uh, in domains, like the ones that we did our PhDs on, you may feel that there's no time. You know, you have this tunnel vision and you need to spend mornings, days and evenings and weekends. And then, you know, what what I'm hearing and tell me if I'm hearing right is if you do that, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're missing an opportunity to grow, you know, your CV and become a more um, well-rounded candidate for whichever job you want to have after. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I think a lot of times if you learn how to explain your science to a non-scientist, it can actually help you, honestly, when you go back to the lab and realize what the, some of the gaps are and the issues that you didn't see because you were very focused on your experiment that you were doing that day. But yeah, I think definitely if you know that you want a non-academic career, it's, you know, it's important to start early and try to and start to build that network because when you apply for jobs, Honestly, a lot of jobs work through networking, right? So if you can sort of get your name out there and people know that you're interested in this and you've started building your CV, and once you apply for the job, you know, you're a little more ahead than other people because you can imagine that tons of people apply for the same job. Um, so, you know, thinking about what it is that will make you stand out, but being able to have a network and people know you already before you apply or when you apply and say, you know, by the way, I applied for this and, you know, can you tell the manager to look at my CV and that kind of thing. So, you know, those things matter. Um, so I think in the grand scheme of things for being on the job market, you know, it's really important to try and get people to know you, who you are, even if you're a grad student, but you're, you know, building your CV because when you apply for the job, that'll give you an advantage. 
uh, I I can't agree more. And uh, I'm super happy to have had you on the on the mic here at Peppa PhD because you brought a totally different angle and we touched on a lot of points that I find are really important and inspiring. So so thank you so much. Do you have some links uh, you want to share if people want to reach you? I have my own website um, and my Twitter is just my first and last name. So uh, I'm always happy to um, talk to students and postdocs who are transitioning. So feel free to reach out. Excellent. Thank you so much, Adriana. This was a pleasure. I'm, uh, again, super happy to have had you on the microphone here. You have a very inspiring story. And, and thanks for sharing these very important informations with the listeners. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music